Welcome to New Church with Corey Turner. We pray you encounter God and become more like Jesus through this message. To find out more, visit us at numa.church. Go with me to Ephesians 2. I've already said that, haven't I? You're already there. You're so prophetic. You're already there. <coughs> so good to see you. I love what God's doing here. Um, you know, um, Pastor Glenn Blakeney, who he and his wife are relocating from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, over the coming weeks. He was teaching at our staff discipleship the other day, and he was talking about how everywhere he went, he began to see the numbers 222. It was on a hotel room he went to. He'd wake up at 222 in the morning, which is not so good. Uh, he'd see 222 everywhere. And then God began to speak to him out of Ephesians 222. And uh, as he began to unpack this, um, I, I looked um, at the date that he was teaching. It was the 22nd of the 2nd that he was teaching. And I looked back at the clock. It was 2.22 p.m. that he... Henry knows sometimes God's trying to get our attention about some things. And for the last four weeks, God's been speaking to me out of this passage. And I said to Glenn, hey, the Lord's speaking to me out of Ephesians 2.22. I believe this is right time, right people, right place to bring this word. I, I, I believe there are no coincidences in God. And God uses all manner of things. So don't be skeptical. Don't be cynical. Open up your heart and realize we serve a mystical, miraculous God. And he can do whatever he wants to do and speak however he wants to. So Ephesians 2, 18 to 22, it says this. Paul speaking. For through him, we both, being Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want to speak to you today about the habitation of God. What does it mean to be the habitation of God? You know, from the dawn of time, ever since the beginning of creation, humanity, we have been on a search for God's presence. It's been built into the heart of humanity, Ecclesiastes 3.11, eternity. This God-shaped desire and design to host the presence of God. You look at the prophet Moses and you see his cry out to God, God, show me your glory. And God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock as his glory passed by. We read in 1 Kings 8 where King Solomon asked the question, will God's presence dwell on earth? And God responds to Solomon in verse 12 by saying, yes, in fact, my presence will dwell on earth. You go to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 66 and the prophet asks the question, where will God dwell? He says in verse one, God speaking, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for my presence? In other words, because God is so great and he's so transcendent and almighty and the earth is so 
tiny. How can a tent, a building, a temple contain the majesty and glory of our amazing God? And then the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 has the revelation that you and I, our bodies, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want to say to you, it's no small thing to become the habitation of God. It's no small thing to become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And yet every single believer in this room is invited to host the presence of God. And so when it comes to this idea of becoming the habitation of God, there is both an individual call and invitation and responsibility, but there is also a corporate call and habitation. And today I want to speak about that corporate call that is upon us as the family of God to become the dwelling place of God by His Spirit. How is that possible? What does that look like and what does it mean? to become the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. You ready? That was a professional stall so I could cough. (laughs) Trade secrets. In Ephesians 2, Paul shares his revelation into the grafting in of the Gentiles. If you're not a Jew in this room and you're a believer in Jesus, you're a Gentile. I'm I'm a Gentile, but I've been grafted in. I've been adopted in to the family of God. And you need to understand that faith in Jesus gives every believer in this room access to the presence of the Father. That's what verse 18 says. It says, for through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through who? Through me. There is no other pathway to the Father. There is no other way to gain access to the presence of God apart from faith in Jesus. And I love the fact that God is no respecter of persons, but He is a respecter of the principle of faith. And so He's not attracted or drawn to us based upon our titles, our status, our achievement, our network of connections, who we know, who we don't know, what platforms we've been on, what platforms we haven't been on, whether we're famous, whether we're not famous, whether you've got a lot of people following on social media or not. God is not, is not bat an eyelid about any of those things. He simply does not care. He's not a respecter. Of, he loves you, but the things that earth is enamored by, he is not enamored by. What he's drawn to is the spirit of faith. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God always rewards faith. And the greatest reward for your faith is not a new house, not a new car, and not a new spouse. The greatest reward for your faith is the presence of Jesus. It's gaining access to the presence of the Father. We've made the reward about so many other things. Jesus is the reward. His presence is the reward. The fact that you have access to be restored and reconciled back to your heavenly creator, back to your heavenly father, is the greatest reward you and I could ever have. I remember years ago at Father's Day in our first church, we planted Dave McCracken coming and preaching on the Father heart of God. 
And I realized as he was preaching, I didn't have a revelation of the Father's heart. I would relate to God and pray to God through Jesus, our Savior and our, our, our Deliverer and the, the person who forgive me of my sins. And, and I would relate to God through the Holy Spirit, the Counselor, the Empowerer, the Sanctifier. But void in my prayer language was the word Father. And I realized that I didn't have a deep revelation of the Father's love for me. And it was manifesting in all sorts of symptoms about how I would approach life. And yet when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, Jesus said to them, pray then like this, our Father who art in heaven. If you want to know what you really believe about God, pay attention to your prayer life to the language of what is coming out of your mouth because your prayers are a revelation of what you really believe in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you really believe about God, where your faith is really at, really at, is often revealed through the prayers that you pray. So if there's no prayer, that is a revelation of what you really believe. If there's little prayer, uh, that's also enough. And, and there could be lots of prayer, but it could be begging prayers and reflect more of an orphan heart than it does as a son and a daughter of God. On August 28th, on uh, our Super Bowl Sunday, where the Holy Spirit was poured out in such a significant way here at Numa, and now for several months we've been swimming in the river of what God is doing here and it feels a little bit like hanging on to the back of a Ferrari, if you know what I mean. Uh, many of us have lived life trying to push a semi-trailer truck uphill. What happens if God answered all your prayers and now you're just holding on for dear life? And you've got to learn, you've got to pivot, and you've got to actually flex and understand that God's doing a new thing. What's the new thing He's doing? And, and so you've got to lay hold of that. And so it's interesting that this move of God that's taking place all began... Yes, years of fervent prayer from the entire congregation, but there was a significant moment on that Sunday where as I'm walking down the side tunnel, I prayed a simple prayer, Lord, will you father me at a deeper level? I had a revelation by then of the Father heart of God, but as I walked no sooner 10 meters, the Holy Spirit said, are you serious about that? And when I answered in the affirmative and walked here, sign of stages, people are getting ministered to, five minutes later, Great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, mass healing, mass deliverance, mass baptism of the Spirit, mass salvation. I want to tell you, having a revelation of the Father's love for you is not a lightweight doctrine. It's an essential ingredient that flies in partnership with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, the Toronto outpouring in Canada came out of a revelation on Father's Day of the Father Heart of God. The Brownsville Revival was launched on Father's Day out of a revelation of the Father Heart of God. You need to understand that coming into a revelation and understanding the unveiling of that which is hidden is what revelation means. An understanding of God as Father is an essential prerequisite to living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Because you have access to the Father, you can now boldly approach the throne of grace. 
Are you praying bold prayers? Are you believing for bold answers to those prayers? It's time we start asking Jesus for a cup of tea and we start asking Him for the moon. It's time we actually started to believe for something that was reflective of His nature, of His character and of His goodness. God is giving every son and daughter in this room permission to dream again. He's giving you permission to dream the impossible dream, to actually see the vision that is beyond your strength and capacity. In fact, I'm telling you, if you can accomplish it, then it probably isn't from God. But the moment that you get a revelation of the Father heart of God and you understand His goodness and His grace that is at work in your life, you boldly approach the throne of grace. You dare to ask for things that people say, who do you think you are? I'm a son of God. You're a son and a daughter of God. So having access to the Father means something. It means you're no longer an orphan, but you're a child of God. This is exactly what Paul is trying to share with the church in Ephesus. He says in verse 19, you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're not at a distance, you're brought up close. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You need to understand, God is building himself a family on earth. What started with Abraham continues with us. The church of Jesus Christ is not an enterprise, a company, or a business. It's not an organisation. There may be some organisational dynamics to it, but primarily it is a family. There are different metaphors in the body for the church, uh, in, in the, the Bible, should I say, for the church, one of those being the body, another being an army, another being a bride. But what the revelation here is in, in this passage is that we are a family. We are a part of the household of God. We are the offspring of the Holy Spirit grafted into the family of God. And that's why one of our core values as part of our kingdom culture is church is a covenant family. Because how we do family and how we relate to each other has everything to do with what it means to become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to belong in His family. In fact, the Bible says in Psalm 68, 6, God settles the solitary and isolated in a home. He leads out the prisoners in prosperity. Part of the job description of Jesus he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me, not just to preach good news to the poor, but to open prison to those who are bound and to declare the year of the Lord's favour. Open blind eyes, etc., etc. You need to understand that one of the roles of Jesus is not just to save you from your sin, but to save you into a family, to graft you in. And so if we treat the house of God, the family of God, as a hotel that we visit occasionally rather than a home and a family that we are building into and cultivating and bringing our lives and our gifts and receiving from this family, we're missing a fundamental aspect of what it means to be a son and a daughter of Almighty God. The Bible says in Ephesians 1.5, we've been adopted to God as sons. It's in the masculine form, but it applies to both genders, male and female. God brings the orphan spirit into sonship. This is a missing revelation in the body of Christ. 
because an orphan spirit that is not healed, and there are many believers that carry an orphan spirit, an orphan spirit that has not been healed is in constant pursuit of more, exhausting itself because it lacks a revelation of God as Father. And so the orphan spirit manifests in different ways. One of the ways it manifests is through deep insecurity, where there is this constant need to get people's approval. And so that insecurity manifests in all sorts of things. It could be passivity or it could be a performance orientation that wants to achieve and, and wants to, you know, be noticed. And so out of this orphan spirit can come the fear of man, can come people pleasing, can come all sorts of selfish ambition. All of these symptoms are a reflection of the orphan spirit. And if there is one place that the church of Jesus Christ must not be and must not reflect to the world is this idea of orphanhood. If you're a part of the family of God, God wants you to be healed of an orphan spirit. And that doesn't just come through a revelation of God as Father, but through a revelation that we are family. Let me tell you how you conduct your relationships, how you reconcile and restore to others when there has been a breach of trust, when there could be sin that needs to be repented of. <coughs> how you engage with your brothers and sisters in faith has everything to do with the manifest presence of God, not just in your life, but in the local church. And in fact, I've discovered the healthier you become in your own heart, in relationship with other believers, the more awareness of the manifest presence of God begins to grow amongst us. We cannot become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit if we first of all don't get healed from an orphan spirit and come into a revelation of sonship. This is one of the distinctive doctrines that, that, that the church must lay hold of in this hour because we are a generation of orphans. And, and no matter how healthy your family of origin is, because of the default of sin, there's elements of brokenness there that we need to actually come and be healed from. And that can only happen when we say, God, would you enlighten the eyes of my heart to see that I'm a son and a daughter uh, of you and that you're my father and that you've called me into a family. God did not intend church to be something that you intend for 90 minutes and that's the extent of your engagement with the local church. It may be the gathering takes a certain period of time on a weekly basis, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the family of God. It is so important that we understand you don't have to be a slave any longer to an orphan spirit trying to prove your value, trying to get attention and get noticed. You can relax, you can stop exhausting yourself and you can be at rest and at peace. There is something called the rest of faith, Hebrews uh, 10 tells us. Or should I say Hebrews 12 and 13, the rest of faith. God wants you to come into the rest of faith where you know by faith, you know in your Noah, I'm a son and daughter of God. I'm embracing sonship and because he is my father, I don't have to live any longer with an orphan spirit, but I'm grafted in. I'm adopted. What does Galatians 4, 6 say? Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You can't claim your inheritance in Christ 
if you first of all don't understand sonship. <coughs> Do you realise you have a spiritual bank account full of heavenly inheritance? You know, there's a guy by the name of um, Stephen Foreman who is a, a programmer in San Francisco, Silicon Valley. He has $220 million in Bitcoin in his account, but he's got a problem. He's lost the password. True story. This is in New York Times. He's lost the password and he's got all of that money he can't access. And he's a programmer. He knows how to try and find it. He can't access it. I said, that'll preach because a lot of believers have lost the password to their inheritance. A lot of believers don't understand that they've got literally millions in their in heavenly inheritance of spiritual gifts and blessing. Ephesians 1 says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How can you access your inheritance if you don't first of all come to your father and receive healing from an orphan spirit? But the moment that you begin to see yourself as God sees you, you begin to think of yourself as God thinks of you, you begin to come into a place of healing where you actually taste and see that He is good. You actually experience His love. In that moment, you have now not just access to the Father, but you're an heir with Christ. You have access to your heavenly inheritance. God doesn't want you to just access your inheritance when you pass away from this life and into the next. Eternity begins right now. The kingdom of God is within you. You can access it because it's within you. But it requires help in our hearts about our identity and who we are in Him. And because God has designed every family to be led by parents, you need to understand that God's family, the church, is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. This is what the Apostle Paul was speaking to in verse 20. In Ephesians 4, we understand that when Christ ascended, he gave fivefold ministry gifts to the church. It's not speaking of spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians uh, 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 12, he's speaking of Christ's gifts, the fivefold office of Christ that he gives to the church. And these gifts are people themselves apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And the fivefold office of Christ is like the power plug, the adapter that plugs heaven into earth through the fivefold in the local church. So if we don't have apostles and prophets and the other graces collaborating together, working together in the life of the church, there is a void and a lack of power in the local church. Why is it that much of the modern Western church has very little power when it comes to miracles, signs and wonders. Could it be it's because we're ignoring the revelation of fivefold leadership in the local church and we're very much led by one dimensional, could be pastor, teachers or a shepherd mindset, which is beautiful and awesome because every leader needs to have a shepherd's heart for people and have God's heart for people. But there is something about the unique supernatural grace on apostles and prophets that opens a portal of heaven into the earthly realm where the church becomes the gateway of heaven where angels ascend and descend on it. And God is wanting us to understand that the church, His family, is to be led by spiritual parents. 
And those spiritual parents, it's not based on age, it's based on Christ-like maturity, calling, and gifting. Whether you're younger or whether you're older, God has appointed, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles. You read that in your devotions, pastors and evangelists don't even get a look in. Right? That's not saying they're not present and available and valued. It's just in that list, it's saying actually God has appointed these graces and gifts to bring leadership into the church. And then as they come together with the other graces, pastors and evangelists, then the church can actually hit firepower mode and actually become that gateway of heaven for signs, wonders and miracles to begin to break out amongst the family. Now, historically, the church has often embraced pastors, evangelists, teachers, and avoided and excluded apostles and prophets because we don't know what to do with them. They're a little bit ooky spooky and weird. And, and so, you know, they must have all died out in the first century. And, uh, and so we, we create weird doctrines to try and justify our powerlessness. And, and, and so um, you need to understand that it isn't just the prophets of the old covenant and the apostles of the new covenant that this passage is talking about. God, through the Holy Spirit, is still giving the fivefold office of Christ to the local church. And we are a church that embrace that, celebrate that. And I do believe it's one of the reasons why we are seeing God move miraculously. We've recorded literally several hundred miracles now over the last six months, since that outpouring, I heard another story. Uh, of, we had dinner with a couple in the church on Friday night, and they were telling me how um, they, uh, a while back, they brought a jacket uh, to me in the prayer line. And this jacket was going to be given to their daughter, who had developed, I didn't know this, but a tumor in their brain. And so the jacket came, and, and this man of God had faith to believe if you pray for this jacket and anoint it with oil, I'm gonna go and give it to my daughter because her daughter didn't wanna come to church, right? And so we prayed over it, we anointed it, took the jacket back. The girl didn't even put the jacket on, just touched it, went and got an MRI. The tumor disappeared in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, there is miracle working power in the name of Jesus. Every believer in this room has access. But I'm telling you, with apostolic prophetic grace, it's put on steroids. It's like something shifts in the spiritual atmosphere when the church is built on the foundation of the apostle and prophet. What does the apostle do? The apostle brings the reality of heaven into the earthly realm. The apostle builds family. The apostle releases signs and wonders. The apostle activates the anointings in other people. It opens a portal. It advances the kingdom through church planting. The prophet reveals the Father's heart, realigns the church to the voice of the Father. It confronts the spirit of religion. It restores relationship to God and to people. This is the role of the apostle and prophet. And the thing that we've, we've got to make sure we guard this because churches that tend to become primarily pastoral, evangelistic and teaching tend to become people-centric and tend to become very sort of customer-consumer focused rather than first of all discerning what is heaven's priority. Now all the graces are concerned with what is God saying, <clears throat> what is God speaking. 
But if we become only people-centric in our approach to ministry, what can easily happen is we ignore what God is saying and we go to the demands of people. And the danger with that is the demands of people may not even be the need. But because of pressure to administer spiritual goods and services to the customers, we can become so people-centric, Elvis leaves the building. God says, it's no longer about me, it's about people-pleasing. Now hear my heart, every single one of us have got to have a heart for each other and a heart for people. I've just spent the first half of this message talking about the importance of relationships in the family of God. But I also know that it only took four chapters from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 6 before the church deviated off centre. The momentum of harvest and evangelism stopped because the apostles pandered to the demands of people and they stopped praying, they stopped the ministry of the word, they stopped focusing on heaven, but it wasn't until they got their focus back and partnered and delegated responsibility to others that they came together and the Bible says, and the word of God continued to increase and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith and the number of souls multiplied in Jerusalem. There is a multiplying momentum that comes into the local church when everyone plays their role and fulfills their calling as God has called them to do. We need the apostolic and prophetic in the house to build and cultivate family whilst we also shepherd, evangelize, and teach people the Word of God. Can I hear a good amen? It's healthy. God does not want His family to become one-dimensional or off-center. He wants holistic five-fold graces running right throughout the church. And when we understand that the foundation of God's house is only as strong as the cornerstone, we will make sure that we build according to the pattern of the cornerstone, which Paul says is Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone that we pattern everything after. It says in verse 20, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now in construction, the cornerstone back in antiquity shapes the pattern of every other brick that's connected to it. So if you get the cornerstone wrong, the whole structure of the house is undermined. You need to understand 1 Peter 2.5, we are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to God. It does not get better than the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. And one of the primary roles of a preacher teacher is to present to people a brilliant, accurate view of who Jesus is. One of our primary responsibilities as followers of Jesus is to get out of the way so the Holy Spirit can have his say and for Jesus to be seen in our daily life. You see, that's why we sing about Jesus. That's why we preach about Jesus. That's why we glorify Jesus because Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1.22 that the Father has put all things under Jesus' feet and given him as head over all things to the church. So here's the deal. If Jesus is the head of the church, we don't get to build the church after our image. 
we actually are co-laborers with God. We are called to build the church and be a part of the family of God according to how Jesus designs it. That means not everyone gets a vote. Can I just preach truth? The church is not a democracy. Jesus is Lord of all or not at all. And what God does is he gives, we're a family, but he gives parents to the church to discern and to carry the responsibility of oversight in a local church to steer the church according to the will of Jesus. And so we who teach and we who lead are gonna have to give an account to God. Aren't you glad you don't have that job? I'm gonna have to give an account for how I lead you. I'm gonna have to stand before God on judgment day and give an account for how I teach and what I teach. If you're not, if you're not called to that, don't, don't want that. And so because that is a calling and an entrustment, how many of us know one person, that's a lot of weight for one person to carry? That's why we have fivefold. That's why we have collaborative leadership, where you have spiritual parents, but together there is a family that's joining with a larger family to lead the house of God where God is calling us to go. And Jesus is the pattern. And the Bible says in verse 22 that it's in Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So important to understand, God is actually looking for a people to dwell with. God is looking for an individual to dwell with. You know, one of the most amazing things about King David is this statement. King David is a man after God's own heart. God said that of David after he sinned. We go, what's that about? He's not talking about his character being perfect. He's talking about David's pursuit of God. David was in pursuit. David was an absentee father. David let his lust get the better of him. David had blood on his hands. But God said, you're a man after my own heart. You're in pursuit of hosting my presence. You read in Psalm 63, one where it says, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In Psalm 26, it says, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. In Psalm 27, 4, it says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of my God all the days of my life. Can, can you hear his hunger for God? 
David's hunger for God was ahead of his time. He is like a New Testament prophetic picture in an old covenant reality. David was so intimate with the presence of God. He was so hungry to host the presence of God that he had an inkling, he had a revelation that was coming a day where every single person would become the dwelling place of God, where there would be a people on the earth. He didn't, he, he didn't live in it, but he saw. And that's why he restored the tabernacle of David, 24 seven worship and prayer for 40 years in the tent of meeting because he was longing for the day when the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 would be poured out upon all flesh and you and I would become the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is looking for a people to dwell with. And I wanna tell you today, it's only as we come into a revelation of the Father heart of God and what it means to be a family, we will be built up into the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. And so this is the question. What would it look like? What would happen in your life and in my life if we began to really believe that we are the habitation of God? What would it look like to see ourselves as the temple of the Holy Spirit? I'm telling you, you would approach temptation very differently. You'd take captive that thought. You'd bring it into obedience to Jesus. You guard your heart because you know that out of it flow the springs of life. You'd be careful to point the finger and gossip and, and, and you'd keep a short account of sin because you know I'm the habitation of God. I'm being built together in, with my other brothers and sisters into the dwelling place of God. This is why disunity is so dangerous in the local church. This is why if there's issues in relationships, we've got to practice Matthew 18 and go and have the tough conversation in love and resolve it. That's why we can't just be passive and shove things under the carpet and live in passive aggressiveness to our loved ones or to brothers and sisters in faith. But we actually have to mature into Christ-likeness where we say, hey, I love you too much not to resolve this issue. Because that revelation, that lifestyle of, 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 of relationship and what it means to be in the family of God, along with the apostles and prophets as the spiritual parents of the house, is actually determining how much glory you and I are going to carry. The Lord said to me before this outpouring, He said, I'll, not everything my church is doing, I'm in. I'll only go where I'm hungered for, I'm sought after, and I'm sacrificed for. God said of David, you're a man after my own heart. You're not perfect, but you're a man after my own heart because your heart is purely in pursuit of me. You know, I'm obsessed with hosting the presence of God. My prayer daily is, God, let this church, let my life, let my family, let us become the dwelling place of God that we would host your presence. And I wanna tell you that if that is gonna become a reality, corporately, it's gonna begin individually. How you steward your daily work life really matters about the corporate weight of glory that we carry. How we handle our finances, how we steward our health, how we respond to accusations that are unfounded, how we live in relationship with each other individually bears upon us corporately. And, and I'm aware that the, the, the corporate presence of God in this house 
can rise or fall based upon the individual commitment to daily prayer in our lives. You know, our team knows I'm not enamored with the metrics. A lot of church pastors, they want to know every little detail. And, and we have people that look after the metrics and, and, and take care of the details. But I'm not enamored with them because my greater concern is, is God in the building? Do people love each other like Jesus loved the church? Are people getting healed and saved and becoming more like Jesus? Are disciples being made? Are we growing into the maturity and full measure and the stature of Jesus? Because when we stand before him one day, he's not going to look at the metrics of your career. I'm telling you, God's speaking right now. We're going to finish in a moment, but we just need to sit here for a minute. He's not going to ask you about the metrics of your career. He's not going to ask you about the metrics of your bank account. Steward, make as much money as you possibly can for his honor and his glory, but he doesn't care about the metrics. What he cares about is, were you obedient to what I asked you to do? Did you love your spouse like I called you to? Did you cultivate healthy relationships and build healthy relationships in your life? Did you, were you faithful to my call upon your life? Did you grow into Christ-likeness and who I was calling you to be? These are the things God cares about. And all of these things contribute to the weight of glory that you carry in your life. And my prayer today is, is that we would become the dwelling place of God. We are the habitation of heaven. This is the gateway of heaven. And from, not this room, you, me, from this room we go and we take the manifest presence of God everywhere we go. And we steward our characters, we steward our hearts, we steward our lives. We set ourselves apart as holy because he is holy. We spend time in prayer because we love Him when we want to, not because we've got to tick another box. Thank you for listening to Numa Church with Corey Turner. Please visit our website, numa.church, and follow us on our social media platform.